we make a decision emotionally and then we try and back it up with logical reasons for why we made that decision. But the emotional part of the brain is, is acting much, much faster than the logical part of the brain. So you've got to make sure that you are connecting with people on that emotional level because that's the level at which decisions are made about you, about working with you or about any decisions they want to make in their own life. Welcome to the Influence by Design podcast. I'm Samantha Riley, authority positioning strategist for coaches and experts. If you're ready to build a business that gives you more than just a caffeine addiction and you dream of making more money, having more time and having the freedom to be living your best life, then you're in the right place. It's time to level up. Welcome to today's episode of Influence by Design. I'm your host, Samantha Riley, and today we're going to be talking about all things communication and influence. And I've invited Richard Newman onto the show, who's the founder and CEO of Body Talk. So over the past 23 years, himself and his team have trained over 120,000 business leaders around the world to improve their communication and their impact. And they've even had one client who gained over $1 billion in new business just in one year using the strategy that Richard teaches. So strap yourself in. This is what we're going to be covering today on the show. So welcome to Influence by Design, Richard. It's great to have you here. Thanks, Samantha. And I appreciate you having me on your show. Now you've got a beautiful accent. I love the accent. Whereabouts in the world are you today? <laughs> so I, I'm based uh, just outside of London, just on sort of the west side. Uh, I'm in a little area where it's called Burnham Beaches. Uh, so to give people the, the picture of it, Burnham Beaches is where quite a few uh, movies are filmed, including some parts of Harry Potter when he's like hiding in the forest. It's the forest that's just behind my house. Well, that's pretty cool. I hope Hagrid doesn't come and make a make a little entrance <laughs> as we're chatting today. No, that's very, very cool. So you are the founder of Body Talk. Nonverbal communication is something that um, I read that you're very interested in. And you spent six months with Tibetan monks to further mm. this, I guess, interest. I'd love you to share a little yeah. bit about this story and how that eventuated. Sure. So, uh, you know, I realized from a very young age that uh, communication was going to be a big passion of mine. And, and the reason being, starting back from when I was just four years old, uh, I my parents moved house. We went to this new school, new area, getting to know new people. And I really struggled to connect with the other children. And I, and I really didn't understand why at the time. But I started to ask myself this question of, you know, is there something wrong with me? Is there something different? about me? Am I missing something about it? like how to connect with other kids? And that question continued really through my, uh, you know, young years up into my teenage years. What I didn't realize and now I can reflect on is that I was very shy as a child. Uh, I'm highly introvert. Um, but what I didn't know until very recently is I'm also autistic and I just got diagnosed autistic uh, last year. And so what this means is that simply I see the world differently. My instincts around communication are different to neurotypical people. And so there's sometimes a disconnect in communication. And there certainly was in my early years. And so about the age of 16, I started reading books on communication to overcome these challenges. And in the space of about 10 years, maybe less than 10 years, I read around 200 books in the field of communication on body language, tone of voice, storytelling, stage presence, all these different areas. And I was so fascinated with it. And then when my, all my friends were going off to university aged 18, I decided I didn't want to do that. I wanted to do something different and something involving communication. And so I went to this gap year activity projects 
uh, organization. I said, you know, where can you send me somewhere that really needs some help? I want to go and help people. And they said, well, we've got this monastery that we've spoken to once and they, I think they needed teachers. So uh, things aren't really well set up there, but you can go and uh, do it if you want. And I said, that's the one for me, sign me up. So, so I found myself traveling then across India. I'd never been away from home without my parents at this point. And I was traveling across India. It took me two days to get from Delhi across to the east side of India, the northeast, and eventually found myself up in the foothills of the Himalayas in an area that's near Darjeeling, where the tea comes from. And mm -hmm. I found this Tibetan monastery where I knocked on the front door and the monks came up to greet me and greeted me in Tibetan. And it was at this point where I realized Oh, hang on a second. They don't speak any English. I thought I was there to improve their English, but they didn't speak any English. And so wow. uh, they, they brought me inside. They sat me down in their, their kitchen. They gave me some Tibetan tea, which if people haven't had it before, it's pretty terrible. It's, it's, it's tea with butter <laughs> and salt. So rather than milk oh. and sugar, it's butter and salt. Yeah, it's quite something. So I was sitting there, you know, across the table from them thinking, this is going to be a long six months. We can't communicate with each other. And I'm drinking this stuff that's really uh, bitter. Uh, and Anyway, during the course of about half an hour to an hour of sitting with them in their kitchen, I started to realize, hang on a second, we can understand each other. There's something happening here with each other, with, with us non-verbally, where beyond the use of words, we can connect and understand each other a little bit. And so I built on that over the course of six months to just communicate with them non-verbally so that they would learn my language. And I learned Nepali, which was the main language of, of the area that I was in. And you know, the, the key fundamental that I built uh, from that experience was all around really congruency. And congruency mm -hmm. meant that if I wanted to teach them the word excited, if I didn't look excited or I didn't sound excited, then I, I could have been saying pineapple. They wouldn't know the difference. Mm. So uh, I had to make sure that everything I was doing physically and vocally and with my words were all heading in one direction so they could completely understand me. And that's something that I've brought into coaching clients ever since because, you know, go to the other extreme of that. I'll go and work at conferences sometimes where let's say the CFO walks on stage and says something like, uh, hi, everybody. Um, glad that you're here today. I'm really excited about the conference. And, uh, you know, the numbers for the last quarter were amazing. And uh, the numbers for next quarter look fantastic. And I'm just sitting there thinking, tell your face. If this is genuinely good information, tell people are looking at you. <laughs> they're looking at you and they're thinking he looks anxious. He looks nervous. He looks like he doesn't want to be here. We're going, we're going out of business. We're going to be bankrupt this year. Mm. And so mm. you've got to make sure in day to day, Day work that you have that congruency that I was learning and experiencing with the monks. Oh my goodness. How amazing. How has that um, six month experience and really understanding what happened there, um, I guess, flowed over into the work you're doing now? You know, you mm. did mean, you did sort of touch on it a little bit about, you know, the way that our, um, the way that we show up nonverbal communication, but on a, on a bigger scale, what are the outcomes that you've seen from the work that you've done? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, for me, first of all, at that pivotal age of 18, going to live with those monks, it was just extraordinary because it made me 
it, it gave me a sense of independence of understanding that I could go out into the world and, and you know do things for myself but also the feeling of euphoria that I gained from working with these monks in this kitchen when I saw the aha moment that happened for them where they were they were learning these elements of my language and they were loving it as well I thought I love teaching they love learning from me this is something that I want to do uh, the other piece that I did learn too is I also worked at a local Tibetan school with nine to twelve year old children and I loved working with them, but it was very challenging with them because they were kids and they, they, they were sent to school because they were told you have to go to school. They didn't really appreciate that they were learning something in the same way that the adult monks did. So I thought I want to coach people who are adults and I want to help them with communication. And what it really spilled over for me into was the idea of I love helping people find their voice. So if I can take mm. someone where, you know, I've been working with people, like you mentioned, 23 years, there's over 100,000 people we've worked with. And what keeps me passionate about it is that there's so many times I find someone who's brilliant, they're really intelligent, they are very experienced, and they've been passed over for promotion, or they have the best product and service, and people are buying from their competitors, and they're losing mm. out. And it's not because what they're doing isn't good or doesn't have value. It's just because they haven't learned how to find their voice and connect with other people in the most powerful and engaging way and I care about it so much partly because I had to find my voice um, but also because I know that you know helping people do that can have a massive knock-on effect so I, I always think back to an example of there's a lady at a financial company who I worked with we were training all the partners there and we went to do a booster event uh, sort of six months after the initial workshops we'd done and uh, people said to me as I walked in the room they said do you know about Sarah have you heard what's happened to Sarah I said what do you mean and he's uh, they, they said to me um, you know it's changed this this course that you've given them has changed her marriage it's changed her relationship with her children her clients are delighted she walks into the office smiling every day and I was thinking back to the original workshop thinking I'm pretty sure we just taught them presentation skills like isn't that what we did but by doing this uh it's it creates such a shift it can give people such a level of confidence uh, in themselves with the body language work that we do it's always for me it's never about sort of manipulation tactics which you know some salespeople mm. used to teach years back it's always about giving you back to yourself unleashing your true full potential uh, so that you can show up as the best version of you every day and that for her had had repercussions in so many areas of her life so so that's what the, that journey has been like for me and i still feel passionate about it every day i show up thinking today i can help somebody find their voice and get the results they really deserve Oh my goodness. I love this so much. I love this so much because we've got to remember that business isn't, or our career isn't just one bucket of our life, that we are mm. holistic beings and that every part of our life does affect other parts of our life. Mm. What I also love is that as business owners and entrepreneurs, we are influencing others on a daily basis. We're influencing them to change their thoughts, their behaviors to change their decisions and if we can master this and like you said and, and I love that you mentioned it it's not in a manipulative way it's not manipulative at all but for us to have a great impact we do need to influence other people's you know thoughts and decisions and behaviors one of the ways that we can do that is through storytelling and mm. I know that you talk about increasing influence through storytelling um in a way that we get people to listen and care and i yeah. know that this is something that i personally have struggled with and still do sometimes <laughs> it's something that a lot of people tell me that they struggle with so i guess 
I'm going to throw the mic to you. Where do you want to take us from there? Because I think that storytelling is so important. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And uh, I, I've loved working on storytelling with clients for so many years. You know, originally I, I was working with them just on you know body language and voice and that sort of thing. And clients kept on saying, we love this, but we, we also need to figure out what to say. And what we say seems to be letting us down, uh, even if we've now yeah. got, you know, more presence or gravitas and so on. So for about the last 15 years, I've been working on that uh, storytelling piece with people. And that the biggest piece that I could share with anyone around how to increase your influence there, that, that is a big aha moment, and particularly for coaches and consultants who might uh, you know, listen to your podcast. The biggest piece that I often share to people is simply to stop being the hero in your stories. And this can transform uh, your, your impact, particularly in sort of uh, sales pitches, uh, the way that you interact with your team, uh, how engaged people are when, when they listen to you. And so I'll, I'll talk you through a big example of this, and then we can go down to a small one. So the biggest uh, contract we've ever helped a company win was worth $800 million in one contract. Wow. <laughs> and Yeah. And so it was, it was a huge deal to work on this. And this company, this big uh, construction company, they were aiming to build a brand new building on the bank of the River Thames in London. And uh, they'd been working towards it for somewhere between a year to, to 18 months huge project mm -hmm. and it got down to the last couple of weeks and they'd heard that they were in the final three but they were in third place mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. so it got down to these final couple of weeks my team and i we were in there coaching them and on the final day the night before the big pitch was going to happen their ceo flew in by private jet from america he came in to, to do this rehearsal and he was going to be the first speaker in the pitch and we hadn't met him until sort of 5 p.m the night before the, the pitch happened so he stood up to do mm -hmm. his part of the pitch and he got about three minutes into it. And I thought, oh, I, like I'm, <laughs> I feel like I'm putting myself on the line saying this, but I have to say it because there's, there's, there's moments until they do this pitch. And I said, I have to stop you. Can you tell me honestly, do you believe you're going to win the pitch tomorrow? And he said, no, we're not going to win the pitch. And like the whole room stopped breathing. There's like, uh, you know, around 20 oh. people in this in this sort of mahogany conference room area. And they, they sort of, they stopped breathing thinking, oh God, we're gonna lose. And also, why are you saying this to our CEO? You're gonna get your head chopped off. Uh -huh. And so they uh -huh. looked at him, they looked, they looked at me. And uh, I said to him, can you explain to me why you don't think you're going to win? Because that's what I'm feeling. It's if I imagine that I'm the audience, the panel on the decision-making panel, uh, that I feel like you don't believe it, tell me why. And so he said, well, the reason being, there's a lady on the decision-making panel who doesn't like Jim and Jim and her have had this challenge and therefore they are, they are counting us down on points where they should be giving us extra marks and we should be in first place. So I've now had to come in here to try and rescue this situation and look after my team. And so I said to him, okay, let's just pause there. Let me talk about storytelling. I said to him, you know, every pitch that someone does is a story. And then there are characters in that story. And I said to him, would it be fair to say that you would see your position here as the hero of that story where you're coming in to rescue or save or protect your team in some way? And he said, yeah, okay, that sounds about right. And I said, um, would you then say that your, your team, your company is almost like a victim of this story of where you've got to in the pitch? And he said, yeah, they, they are, absolutely. And I said, so what does that make the decision-making panel? you know where what how are you seeing them what character do they play in this story would it be fair to say that you're seeing them as the villain and he said yes <laughs> probably is right and suddenly there was a oh. moment in his mind where he was like oh god this is you're so right and we have to change this uh and I so could i could even him, see that on your face then it was that light bulb moment of like oh 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that's how he felt. And then there were people in the room thinking, how do we fix this now? And I said to him, look, you've got to, you've got to shift it because if you want someone to sign off and agree $800 million for you and you see them as a villain, it's just not going to happen. So we have to shift this around. So I talked to him about the mentor and hero dynamic. And this is something that's so important for you know, all sorts of people that, that we work with, because too often people go into a meeting thinking of themselves as the hero without even realizing it. So they go into a meeting maybe with their team and they say, hey team, look, I've got concerns that I want to talk about and I've got goals that I want to talk about. And straight away, you're positioning yourself as the hero. Every hero has challenges and they've got goals that they want to achieve. They want to move away from their challenges towards their goals. And the, and the problem with doing that in any situation is the person you're speaking to also has challenges and they they also have goals. All of us are the hero at the center of our own life experience. We have challenges we want to move away from, goals we want to achieve. So when you speak to people like that, then they stop listening. Whereas if you go into a meeting thinking, okay, whoever I'm speaking to is the hero. So in that 800 million mm. uh, version, I said to him, they are the hero. They have a challenge, which is a hole in the ground next to uh, the River Thames and a goal they want to achieve, which is a beautiful, breathtaking building that will change the landscape of London. And so they are the hero. You're coming in as the mentor. You don't want to be in anything else. You want to be the mentor, which is to understand what is their challenge? What is their goal? And how do you guide them towards it? And so you can do that in a sales pitch. You can do that with your clients. You can do this with your team. You can even do it with your CEO. If you're going to speak to your CEO or someone you know more senior to you, your line manager, if you go in from the premise of thinking, I wonder what their challenge is and what is their goal and how do I help guide them towards it? Then suddenly you're in a much better position. And so coming back to that initial question around influence, that is the key pivotal shift that I get people to make to understand, unless you're willing to shift that way, you cannot influence that person because everyone is going to see themselves at the center of their own life experience and whether or not you're going to help them move from their challenges to their goals. And when you do that, you then are in that key position of influence to then tell an an effective story. Oh my goodness, mind blown. Absolutely love what you shared there because I feel like this is the piece that I guess so many of us are missing is that mm -hmm. we're hearing these stories of I, you know, I was sleeping in someone's, you know, basement and then I bought a sports car and like, we're just so sick of those stories, right? Yeah. I don't think I'm the only one that's got that feeling. It's like, give us something more meaty, give us something that we can lean into that we just, we are waiting to hear, you know, this story unfold. And, and even as you were telling that story, I found myself leaning and going, wow, this is amazing. I'm just getting so many, um, so many learnings or so many perspective changes. And, and that is what storytelling is all about is mm. getting other people to, you know, to be able to influence. If we're in the position, you know, I love, I love that you share that the, the, um, you know, this company was, had to be the hero. How did that happen? And I'm asking this question to understand the context of how we can make our prospect the hero. Yeah. So, so uh, the best way to make uh, a prospect or anyone you're speaking to the hero, you've got to get to a deep level of understanding of, of where are they really? So diving in without any sense of uh, assumptions around things. And uh, so, so it could be that you're meeting someone you've never met with before, or it could be that you're meeting with someone who you, you know pretty well. But uh, either way, great uh, questioning and listening skills are fundamental. So if I look at, you know, in my own business that I've been running 23 years, we've, I'm very proud of the fact that we've grown every single year. We grew through the 2008 financial crisis. We grew through the pandemic. 
that shut down everything that we do. And to put that into context, before the pandemic, 70% of our work involved getting on an airplane and going to fly and work mm, you know, with people internationally. Mm -hmm. All of it was done face to face and all of it was canceled. <laughs> you know, Coming to the beginning yeah. of March 2020, everything that we had booked in was canceled. And yet we still had our best financial year that year because uh, we, we, we shifted around in our thinking and our approach uh, towards uh, our clients. And so uh, the way that we've always pitched, the way that I pitched that year, the way they've always pitched, it comes down to understanding the hero, which is whoever I'm speaking to. And so uh, if you're going in and you don't know that person that well, or if there's been any challenges or conflict that's maybe come up along the journey to that point, then there's three levels of questions that are critical to have and great listening skills that go with it. Now, just to touch briefly on the great listening skills, I always say to people, listen to three major pieces, listen to the words, listen to the tone and listen to the body language. People are maybe used to, mm -hmm. you know, looking at body language, but I always say listen to the body language because those are the three parts of the answer that you really need to take a look at. When it comes into the questions that you're asking someone, if you think as a mentor, you, you realize you're speaking to a hero who has challenges, who has goals they want to achieve, then the three levels that you can go down to understand their challenges and goals are uh, looking at three key areas of the mind that we're aiming to engage somebody uh, in. So you've got the logical part of the mind, the emotional and the survival part, just to look at this really simply. So if you're starting to get to know somebody, maybe it's the first time you've met a client or maybe it's somebody who you've had a tense relationship with, starting off with the, uh, the, the logical level is the best place to be because there's no risk at that point. So if you say to them, uh, something along the lines, say it's a conflict you're resolving, you might say, so uh, can you tell me what happened uh, last Tuesday? And, you know, what time did that happen? And what did that lead to? What were the events? The person can just sort of talk you through a series of events. Or if he's talking to a client, you could say to them, uh, for example, uh, you know, do, do you mind sharing, uh, you know, where are you at in terms of the size of your team and uh, what's happening? What are the goals that you've set for this year and so on? It's, it's simple things for them to answer, which is on a logical level. It's a great way to start to build a little bit of rapport where the person thinks, OK, you asked me some questions I've answered and I feel safe. Now, if you ask too many of those questions, if you go beyond 10, say, for example, the person starts to feel uh, interrogated because that's yeah. what happens in interrogation. It's all about the facts. Uh -huh. and they ask you 50 questions about the facts and you get really uh, frustrated. So once you've asked a few to build up the context, you can then dive down into the emotional level of the question, which is along the lines of how do they feel? What are their thoughts? What are their opinions around those facts? And this is something that we go to straight away when, uh, you know, when a loved one comes home from work, we don't, you know, we don't start off with the logical questions because we know them very well. We don't start off with mm -hmm. what time did you arrive at work today? What time did you leave work today? If you do, then the person thinks, hang on a second, <laughs> what are you, are you that, That's the interrogation. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So instead they walk through the front door and we go, Hey, how, how are you? How are you feeling at the moment? What was, what was life like for you today at school, at work? Uh, and so we go straight there with people we know really well. If you don't know them well, you might need to do the context, logic questions, go into the emotion. Now, once you build up the emotional questions, you know when you're ready to go to the next phase, when they're giving you emotional answers. So some people you say, how do you feel about the, uh, 
17% that we achieved last quarter. Now, they might give you a fact-based answer if they don't feel safe. They might say, well, I think if you compare it to 12 months prior, it was you know, a 12% increase on where we were, and therefore it's statistically, like they're giving you a logic answer. They're mm -hmm. not willing to open yep. up about emotions. Once they open up about emotions, they say, you know, I'm really feeling, I'm feeling disappointed in myself, but I am feeling excited about the future. And I just think if we kind of head in this direction, things might get better. They're giving you that answer. Then you're in a place where you can dive down into the survival part of the mind because the mind's feeling super relaxed, open, receptive to you. And that's where you can dive down into what is the core driving part of your decision making that will make you move in one direction or another? What is what is driving how you feel about this? What is the greatest driving concern that you have in this area? And if you can get down to that place with a client, it's amazing. It's gold dust because you then know why exactly are they looking for this service or this product or this idea right now? What's the core component of the decision-making process? And you can do that with their goal as well. Not just, you know, what numbers do they want to achieve or, you know, what weight are they aiming to achieve or financials are they aiming to get to, but what is driving it really? What would make them feel absolutely extraordinary on a survival level? So once you can get those two pieces in place, you know, exactly who they are as a hero and that's what we see when we watch a great movie or we read a great book we know those things sometimes we're reading it where we get the internal narrative of they have a conversation mm -hmm. but what they're really thinking what's really driving their behavior is down here so we get to really uh, associate well with those connect well with those characters and so you can do that in day-to-day -day life by being the mentor and truly listening to that person with their responses, not just thinking I'm going to ask these questions and I'll move on with my pitch. You've got to truly hear what is happening there. And so by doing, uh, by doing that, I found that this is really effective in the pitches that we've done as a business where I never show up with a slide deck and a brochure. And repeatedly this has happened where I've shown up and, uh, and my clients, potential clients have said to me, um, did, did you not want to use the, the screen and present something? Because all the other companies have done that. And I'll say, no, no, I just mm -hmm. thought we'd sit down and have a conversation. And I'll ask them things and I get by the end, I know them really well. And I know that they're feeling he's the only person that's actually listened to us. He really yes. knows us. He gets us. He gets us in a way that nobody else gets us. And, you know, we feel like he, we want him to come back here because you position yourself as the mentor and them as the hero. So uh, that's the key way in which to establish that relationship. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. And in this day and age where things go so fast, there you know on people are used to scrolling on screens i think people feel the need to connect and be heard they want to be heard and seen more than ever before and to come in and give people that feeling of we care we we see you we hear you is yeah. easily going to put you at the top of of any list because then it's not just a thought process of do we want to hire this person it's a feeling of I want mm. to be around this person. And that's completely different. Amazing. Yeah. And the key part that you've touched on there, that, that sense of feeling, I always say to people when they say, you know, how should I approach this meeting and so on? The, the fundamental question is how do you want people to feel when you leave the room? Because that's really your legacy. Mm -hmm. That's your personal brand. How do they feel when you leave uh, the room? So you should drive everything towards that. And I was just listening to a great podcast uh, earlier today, actually on um, this is the diary of a CEO. Have you come across this uh, podcast? Mm -hmm. Do you know this yeah. guy? Yeah. So, so he was, yeah. Yeah. He, he was interviewing uh, Dr. Steve Peters, who I love his work. I've read his book, The uh, the Chimp Paradox. 
I've looked at a lot of his uh, speeches. He does these great speeches. He's from the north of England. He's got this great dry sense of humor. And he was talking there, you know, simply how we, we make decisions on an emotional level. You've got the, you know, the emotional part of the brain, the chimp part of the brain. You've got the logical human part of the brain. And, you know, when, when we're interacting in different situations, we make a decision emotionally, and then we try and back it up with logical reasons for why we made that decision. But the emotional part of the brain is, is acting much, much faster than the logical part. Mm part of the brain. Uh, Daniel Kahneman talks about this in his book, Thinking Fast and Slow as well. So you've got to make sure that you are connecting with people on that emotional level, because that's the level at which decisions are made about you, about working with you or about any decisions they want to make in their own life. Mm, I love that so much. So putting together what we spoke about earlier and um, body language and putting that together or piecing that together with storytelling, what is it that we need to, I was going to say think about, but I'm, I don't know, I guess you'll let me know if it's something we have to think about, but what do we need to, I guess, think, yeah, think about in our personal presence so that we can bring people on board to our stories? Yeah. So in terms of uh, someone's personal presence, the, the place that I always like to go to uh, with body language is people thinking about, you know, what is your physical impact when you go into a room? Because, uh, you know, you can be in a place where you have the best products and services, where you've got really nice slides, you know what you want to say, and you still get into a place of getting a poor reaction from people because there's something around the way that you're delivering that message that, that just isn't working. And this is something that I, you know, I learned uh, early on too. So in between uh, working with the monks and starting my own company, I was working as an actor. So I studied as uh, studied at a London acting school and spent three years there. And you spend three years where you know what you have to say because it's in the script and everything they are doing is working on how are you going to deliver that message in a way that is going to impact your audience and impact the other people on stage with you? What can you do in the way that you sit, stand, move, walk, breathe? Uh, what can you do in your voice that will change the meaning of that delivery and get uh, a, a much greater response uh, from your audience where you get them to gasp or you get them to laugh because of how you've changed the delivery around that. So I was always fascinated with it. And so as I then went into uh, working with clients, that was the first area I was working on. And then I put things together and gradually I got to the place where I thought there's, you know, there's a lot of books around on, on body language, uh, but a lot of it is, is based on outdated information. It was studies done back in the sort of 60s, 70s and 80s. And I wanted to bring things up to date. Mm -hmm. And so in 2016, we created our own research project, which was then published in the journal Psychology. It's peer reviewed uh, journal. We worked with this guy who's Professor Adrian Furnham, who's the head of psychology at UCL in London. And uh, he helped us design this study. And what we did is one of the largest studies ever done of its kind, looking at people universally. And essentially, the question I asked is, is there something every person can do that will improve the impact that they get every single time, no matter who they are? So we looked at, you know, whether you are a man or a woman, light skin, darker skin, you're older or younger. And if you're speaking to people in Asia, in Europe, uh, people across in the US, anywhere around the world, um, could you get a better reaction just based on changing a couple of things that anyone can use? And what we found, the answer was yes, which actually surprised us because we thought surely, you know, your gender mm. and your skin color is going to have some, some sort of bias. Yeah. Yeah. We, and we thought that if you go to like, if we, if we did this test in say uh, in Delhi, that we'd get different reactions from doing it as a test in Los Angeles. And what we were founding, mm -hmm. finding with it was it didn't matter where we did the test 
that didn't change the results. It didn't matter if the person in the, the video in the study, uh, it didn't matter what their gender was. It didn't matter what their skin color was. It didn't matter what age they were, all of which completely blew up our hypothesis. We thought this is obviously going to play a part, but it didn't. There was no significant change in those pieces. And just to give people the clarity on this study, we, we got people on these videos to wear the same clothes and say the same words. And uh, then we slightly changed their body language in each video to see if that made a different impact on what was happening. Each person involved then in the study, they would watch one video and they would rate this person. How confident do you think they are? How convincing are they? Would you vote for them in an election? Do you think they're a good leader? All these different elements. And so we would see if the different behavior from one video to the next would change that person's ratings universally. And simply what we found yeah. is that uh, you can say the same words, wear the same clothes, you slightly change your body language, and you can increase the number of people who think you're a good leader by 44%. You've said the same words, you wore the same clothes, you are the same person, you just make a couple of small changes. You can also increase the number of people convinced by what you said by 42%. And you've said exactly the same words. You are the same person. You've worn the same clothes. And so it, it was. And there was a whole range of other statistics we could go into, which which we were so pleased with. We were genuinely hoping for five percent when we started off with this experiment. Yeah, thinking wow. if we can make a five percent change, that'd be great. Five percent increase in sales, wouldn't that be good? Um, so it, it was huge, though the results. So to give people clarity on this, what essentially we found. Uh, made the difference is bringing people back, as I was saying at the, earlier in the conversation, bringing people back to the way that they were born to stand, the way they're born to breathe, move and gesture and so on. If you come back to that and you get rid of habits that are holding you back, then suddenly you get a much better reaction from people. So uh, as an example of this, we looked at posture was one of the areas we studied. And what we find is that day to day, there's so many people, if they're standing or if they're sitting, they will be leaning off to one side, uh, particularly if they're standing, they're sort of leaning off to one hip. And then we can't bear our weight there for very long. So we get uncomfortable. So we then lean off to the other side. Mm. Uh, and so on. we mm -hmm. go back and forth. And when you're in that position where you're leaning to one side, gravity is pulling you off balance. And if you give that person a quick push, they fall over. So they are literally yep. the physical embodiment of being a pushover in that position. And so mm. if you move from that position of gravity working against you, if you sit or stand in a position where gravity is going straight down on your torso and your feet are evenly placed, your weight's evenly placed between your left foot, right foot, toes and heels, you get grounded and centered, much like you would if you're playing a sport and uh, I used to play basketball. So if I'm taking a free throw, I don't want to be leaning off on one hip and sort of do it, it's not going to work. Mm -hmm. So you've mm -hmm. got to get yourself grounded or if you're playing tennis or golf, you get into this ready position. If you do that when you're speaking to people, whether it's one-to-one -one or speaking to an audience or sitting or standing, then gravity is now working with you. And what we found is that then there is a perception that you have gravitas. Your words seem to be more important. And part of the reason for this is if you think about, you know, tribes back in the day, if someone stands to speak or starts to speak, the tribe will think, do we believe this person can now uh, lead this tribe? Do we believe that their voice mm -hmm. is valuable? And so part of that is going to come about physically. And if they sense the gravitas that you have physically, they'll give that gravitas to your words. And so just by making that small shift was huge. Uh, we also looked at things uh, such as gestures. And th this is a great one because so many people I've coached have said that they've been told to stop gesturing too much because they yep. are just flinging their hands around and it's distracting mm -hmm. and, and so on. And you know there can be some truth in that. If you're just doing the same gesture over and over, it becomes very visually distracting. So you don't want to do that. You need variety. But we found that if you do 
no gestures at all, then your ratings go down. You're less confident. You're less convincing. You're less likely to be seen as a good leader. You're less likely to get votes in an election. All these things go down. Uh, if you do limp gestures, as I call it, if you're gesturing below the waist, or if you're sitting down, it's sort of gesturing below the table. People are sort of looking at you like, what, what are you doing gesturing below the table? <laughs> so if, you, if you gesture too low, then uh, you get very low ratings as well. But if you gesture using palms up for open messages, open mm -hmm. statements such as questions or thank you for coming here today. Uh, if you gesture palms down for strong statements or closed statements such as we have to finish this by two o'clock on Friday, or we are definitively mm -hmm. the best organization to work with palms down closed statements. If you do that congruently to come back to that word I learned from the monks, palms up for open palms down for closed. If you do that as you're going through your message, suddenly you get the highest ratings that you can get uh, for using gestures. And that's just by thinking about those two. Of course, you can use loads of other gestures, descriptive gestures, depending on you know the stories that you're telling. But those are two that are really good to get back in the swing of things because people get very self-conscious in meetings, pitches, interviews, and so on. And when they're self-conscious, they stop gesturing and they're like, oh, bunny in the mm -hmm. headlights, I can't move. Uh, so yeah. if you start gesturing again, if you just think, okay, palms up for open messages, palms down for closed, and it get your body back in the groove and what this has also been seen to prove there's a great study in chicago uh, by susan golden uh, meadow works at the university of chicago she showed very simply in her study that the more you gesture the more you stimulate your mind and you'll give more intelligent answers under pressure because mm. there's so many nerve endings going from your hands into your brain so it speeds up cognitive processing and there was also another really good study done on TED Talks that proved simply there's so many TED Talks out there and many TED Talks on the same subject, but some have loads of views and some of them don't have very many views. And they found in one of these studies that the ones, the, the TED Talkers who do the most gestures um, are highly correlated with having the most views. In fact, they were doing somewhere mm. around uh, twice as many gestures as people who are speaking on the same subject and getting much lower views. So gestures can mm. really be your friend as long as you, you know how to use them in action. Yeah, and I think confidently too, and I think that's what you're talking about there because we're automatically drawn to people with confidence. And mm. I'm sure you hear it all the time, but you know, speakers saying, I don't know what to do with my hands. It's because yeah. they're they're nervous and and as soon as you're able to confidently gesture then that goes out the door so yeah, yeah i absolutely love that that's so good i want to talk about leaders lift because mm. you talk about this one secret that transforms influence in every situation and i think just like with everything that you've shared so far, it's been absolute pure gold to add a little icing onto this cake right now would be fabulous. Yeah. So uh, lift is uh, something that I was thinking about uh, a lot over the last few years where people have, you know, people have really struggled. We've been through these, uh, these lockdowns, people working from home, not seeing each other as much. And I was thinking, you know, what is it that a great communicator really does? How do I boil that down? It's, so something that we've taught across so many different concepts and strategies that we teach people, how do I put that into a simple phrase for people? And I realized it comes down to the word lift. And so what this means is that if you approach every interaction, thinking about your aim is that by the end of that interaction, that person feels lifted. That's what successful communication uh, looks like. So they go from a negative or a neutral state to a positive or a more positive state. If that's what you achieve by the end of the interaction, then that was a really effective communication. And that person will go away thinking about what you've said, acting on what you've said, 
feeling differently because of that. And it doesn't necessarily mean that they go away feeling elated or go away smiling. It could be that before that they were feeling, you know, maybe stuck in a rut, uh, maybe doing their work half-heartedly. And after their interaction with you, they, they suddenly feel a bit concerned or disappointed in themselves that they have been working hard and suddenly they go away thinking I'm going to be motivated I'm going to get on with this piece now because I, I feel that sense of lift of energy or um, urgency around my, my role because of this interaction so lift doesn't necessarily mean that people are sort of smiling and you know kicking the leaves and it's all a Disney movie at the end it's just that <laughs> sense of lifting people from a from a state that they're in which is not serving them to a state that will be serving them uh, and so that's mm. what uh, lift can can achieve and that's what I've seen great leaders able to do when they step on a stage at a conference and I you know I get to go to many conferences every year uh, when I see somebody who is working well as a leader that's what you can palpably feel from the audience when that person steps off stage is that the state has changed in the audience where they're in a place that is more productive than they were in uh, before. So that's what I coach people towards doing, whether they are a coach, whether they are leading a team, whether they're going in to do a pitch, you want to leave people feeling lifted in some way to a more uh, productive state. Mm. I love this so much, Richard. I am just eating up every word that you're talking about today. You are absolutely just lighting me up, thinking about how we can really lean into influencing in a more positive way because I think that, you know, as you say, there's a lot of, you know, unrest. People are still tired from the last few years. The economy's not where it was a few years ago. And to be able to influence people in this positive way and to create change um, is such a gift that we have as humans. For people that are getting the same feelings as me and they want to learn more about what you do, where can they go to to learn more about your teachings? Uh, so I've aimed to capture as much as I possibly can uh, for people in my in my book, which is uh, which is Lift Your Impact, which has just come out uh, about a month or so ago. It's available worldwide, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, wherever people want to go. And what I did with that is I know that it can be uh, it's a big investment if people want to work with me or want to work with my team. And I wanted to capture everything. So for the cost of, you know, 20 or 30 bucks, uh, whatever it is in, in different countries uh, that they can get as much in there as possible. And it's also designed as a workbook so that there's lots of note pages in there. So you you work through it and you're transforming yourself uh if uh, if people want to find out more information about it if they go to liftyourimpact.com forward slash the book there's loads of information about the book on there but at the bottom of that page there's a form that people can tick a box and get the first 25 pages of lift your impact uh, for free so if they want to get started on it they can do it there i'm also on social media the two main places people find me is instagram where i aim to share some uh, inspiring uh, or uh, educational videos about three days a week so it's at Richard Newman Speaks. And same again on LinkedIn. I put videos up on there. Uh, LinkedIn, Richard Newman from Body Talk. And lastly, my main company site, if people want to work with us, uh, we've done, you know, done great events in Australia and everywhere in between. We love traveling to work with people or do it virtually. Uh, the company is UKBodyTalk.com. Love it so much. Now, if you're listening on the go, you're cooking dinner, you're on the treadmill, you're in the gym, you can just head over as always to influencedbydesignpodcast.com and the links for everything that Richard talked about will be there so that you can go and get more resources and more information. Richard, it's been such a pleasure chatting with you today. Thank you so much for coming onto the show and sharing all of your value bombs. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you. You're really welcome. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. 
Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Influence by Design podcast. If you want more, head over to influencebydesignpodcast.com for the show notes and links to today's gifts and sponsors. And if you're looking to connect with other experts who are growing and scaling their business too, join us in the Coaches, Thought Leaders and Changemakers community on Facebook. The links are waiting for you over at influencebydesignpodcast.com.